So for the last couple weeks, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount with a focus on the Beatitudes. And we'll hit the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in the next season of Jesus the Series. But these Beatitudes are not just a list of things that we need to do. And sometimes that's when we look at the Bible, we kind of think of it that way, that these are things that I need to check off. I need to be this and be that. But that's not what these Beatitudes are. It's a description of someone that follows Jesus Christ and how following Jesus Christ gives you a fulfillment and a happiness. The Bible uses the word blessed. That means fortunate and blissful and happy. Blessed are the people that follow Jesus. And you will never regret following Jesus. It will be hard. There will be struggles. There will be sacrifice. But you will never regret it. God has called us to be different than the world. Not just to schedule our time different on Sunday morning, but to be different people, to have different values and different priorities, to do the unexpected thing, to forgive when other people get revenge, and to love when other people hate. So, so far, we've learned that blessed are the poor in spirit, those that understand that they are spiritually broke, and they bring nothing to the table except for a willingness to admit that they need Jesus. We saw also that blessed are those that mourn, and we saw how that is mourning over our sin and our condition and realizing that we need Jesus Christ. Blessed are the meek. Meekness doesn't mean wimpy. Meekness means able to control yourself. Meekness is strength and using your strengths and talents for Jesus Christ. And then we saw blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. So happy and fortunate, this all boils down to this, happy and fortunate are those that realize they are in desperate need of Jesus. It goes on in verse 7 in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to look there. Verse 7 said, blessed are the merciful. Check this out. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I'm not naturally a merciful person, right? I love justice. That's what I like. And when I'm watching a movie and there's a bad guy, I want to see him get blown away. That's just how it is, you know? I'm like, yeah, get him. Or someone does something wrong or hurts a kid. I'm like, man, just kill him. Throw him in a dungeon somewhere. That's what I, I like justice. Except when it comes to me, right? When I'm the one that's standing in the wrong, then I want mercy. And when I stand before God, I don't want to receive what I deserve. I want mercy. And the principle of mercy is all throughout the Bible. Mercy is basically this, not getting something that you deserve. So if uh, you sit in front of a judge one day and he says, you deserve a year in prison, but I'm not going to give that to you. I'm going to give you mercy. That's what it is. It's not getting something that you deserve. And sometimes we need to be people that let things slide. We need to be people that forget and throw out the ideas of uh, paying someone back or revenge. You know, I tell my kids sometimes, an eye for an eye, and the whole world goes blind. And that's what we live right now. I didn't come up with that. Someone else said it, but I don't know who it was. 
an eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind, right? If we just constantly try and get each other back, we're all going to end up hurt. Someone has to say, I'm not going to continue this. I'm going to stop. I'm going to show mercy. You will never find joy in revenge. You'll never find joy in paying someone back for what they did or what they deserve. You will only find joy in mercy and forgiveness. You might, I don't know if God's already stirring someone up in your heart of someone that you need to show mercy and your uh, mind and your flesh may cry out, but they don't deserve mercy. That's the definition of mercy, right? Not getting something that you deserve. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. It would be justice. And you'll be in a situation one day where you're going to need mercy. But the Bible says, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. See, mercy is not just meant to be given, but uh, excuse me, to be received, but to be given away. We need to learn to be merciful Christians. We ought to be the people that are the most forgiving, not the most judgmental, the most merciful and graceful, not the most uh, the, m- critical. We need to learn to be merciful Christians, and not just because it's what's right, because the Bible says, blessed, blissful, and fortunate, and happy are those that are merciful. That's how God's laws always are. The things he tells us to do are not just these hoops he wants us to jump through. They are what's best for you every single time. God's way is the best way. If you've been here for four years so far, you know that. I'm going to say that till the day I die. God's way is the best way. My way is not the best way. And at growing up in church, I always just thought that there was these laws that just you had to do, things that you had to force yourself to do regardless of the consequences. And, and that's kind of true on a level, but it's the best way to do things too. It's, it's kind of funny that we have to convince our hearts to do these things when God tells us they're what's best for us. The Bible here tells us, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Matthew 18, 21 tells a story of a man that owed the king 10,000 talents. And in the Greek numeric system, it only went up to 10,000, right? So this is essentially an innumerable amount of money. This was a debt so big that this man could never repay the king, could never even start to. The man went to the king. He was summoned there. And the king uh, said, look, you owe me this debt. And the man said, please give me more time, please. But the king said, no, you can't have more time because I forgive you. I forgive you of the debt. You could never pay it back, but I'm going to wipe your debt clean. You don't owe me anything. Can you imagine that weight that would be lifted off your shoulder? Can you imagine if the bank just called you tomorrow and said, hey, you know, I know you owe like $150,000 on your house still. Don't worry about it. We're, we're good. We're good. Can you imagine the weight that be off your shoulders? What? This is insane. But this is an innumerable amount of money. I'm sure he felt lighter than air as he walked home in shock of what just happened. But then on the way home, he sees a man that owed him like 20 bucks, right? Like for the the movie and the popcorn the week before. He owed him just a small amount of money in comparison to what he 
was just forgiven. What does that man do that owed the king so much money? He goes and grabs that guy that owes him $20 by the neck and says, pay me right now or you're getting thrown into jail. Who would ever do that, right? Who is this guy? This guy's insane. He just got forgiven of so much and yet he holds this person that owes him very little accountable. Nobody would do this. But that's the point. If you aren't naturally forgiving, if you aren't naturally being merciful to those people in your life that do menial things to you, then you don't understand the gospel. Because you don't understand the depths of what you have been forgiven for. We were that person that owed 10,000 pounds, something we could never cover, a payment that we could never even start to pay back, and God forgave us of that, and yet, when someone says a little cross word, we write them off forever, right? We hold them accountable for that little, small thing that they did. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So who are we holding that $20 over their head when we've been forgiven 10,000 talents? Who are you giving the silent treatment to? Who, who did you just get in a shouting match with? Who are you no longer friends with over something that they did? Who did you just talk bad to everyone that you could about? See, God is a merciful God, and he wants us to be like him. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. There's a blessing for those of us that choose to extend mercy we will receive mercy from a mercy-filled God. That's what the Bible, that's an amazing promise. How many of y'all need mercy this morning? You can, you can put your hand up, it's okay. Some of y'all don't. Jared doesn't need it, he's good. <laughs> I see you way back there. We need mercy, right? Well, the Bible says if we'll extend mercy, God will give us mercy. When my kids were young, uh, I taught them the golden rule, as you do, right? But apparently I didn't explain it real well. Because what would happen is Noah would smack Chloe on the hand, right? And she would shout out, do unto others and smack him back. <laughs> and that's not what the Bible says. That's not the point here, right? So... What it says in Matthew 7, 12, this later in this same sermon, Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So now, instead of do unto others, now I say treat others like you would be treated. <laughs> Explain it a little better. But sometimes we do that, right? Do unto others, I'm going to smack you right back. But we need to show mercy and forgiveness over and over again. Why? Because we need mercy. We are desperate for mercy. So we should be mercy showers. And people that follow Jesus out of the abundance of our love for him will be mercy showers. Next, it goes on in Matthew 5, 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they 
shall see God. Man, that's an awesome promise right there, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, this is a step that we need to all investigate our hearts this morning. Stop and take a look at ourselves. The word pure, that was used here in the original language, and it mean, uh, meant many different things. One of the things it meant was uh, dirty clothes that had been washed clean. They were pure. Grain and flour that had been sifted and cleansed of its impurities, that was pure. Milk that had uh, not been mixed or polluted was pure. See, the first and foremost obvious meaning is we need to have nothing between us and God. No unconfessed sin. No unrepentant sin. Is there something that you're holding on to this morning? The Bible says if we've got something between us and God, we may not see God. We may not have a relationship close to him. There'll be something between us and him. How many of you ever had a relationship right, like that, right? It was awkward, right? It was cold. It was distant because you knew there was something you hadn't dealt with. The Bible here says if we're pure in heart, we will see God. See, God doesn't want you to live in guilt and shame. He doesn't want you to run and hide like Adam and Eve. The old hymn said it this way, nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen, nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the, keep the way clear, let nothing between. And that's what we need to work on, making sure that we have a short account on sin. Some of y'all do that with your credit cards, right? You pay it off every month. Make sure you don't accumulate any interest. We need to do that with our hearts every single day. We go through our hearts and look through our motives and look through what we've done and say, God, uh, forgive me. I did this and I did that and I did this. Instead of waiting months and months and, and getting far away from him, keeping a short account of sin. But this also isn't just about putting on a show of righteousness, right? Another meaning that we draw from this is to be pure in our motives and to be pure in our heart. Another way to say this beatitude is blissful and fortunate is the person that is genuine and real and has an authentic heart. The person that's not fake or phony because they will see God. And does this mean this is a person that never has a bad thought or never says a bad word? No, obviously not. Bad thoughts will still come and bad things will still happen in our lives. But we can come to God today and say, God, here I am with all my scars, with all my pain, with all my bruises and all my sin. I know I'm not perfect, but I want to be honest with you and to be honest with myself. This is where I'm at, God. I need you. I'm not going to put on a mask. I'm not going to put on airs. I'm not going to uh, paint my face and put on a smile. I'm going to come to you just like I am. Because God sees through all that show that we put on. So stop faking it and quit pretending to be a person that you're not and be honest with God because God already knows our hidden sins and failures. The way we see God in our life is by being honest with him, not putting on a show. So unclench your hands on that thing that you're hiding from him. Have you ever had a child do that to you, right? 
What's in your hand? Nothing. Well, show me what's in it. There's not anything in it. Do you have a cookie in your hand? No. And we do that with God, right? No, God, I, I don't have anything. There's nothing between me and you. There's no anger I'm holding against someone, no bitterness that I'm holding against someone. There, there's no secret sin that I think nobody else sees. I don't have anything in my hand. And act as if God doesn't know what's already there. Instead, be authentic and pure and bring it all to him. Spill out your guts and your doubts and your fears, all of it. He can handle it. He's big enough. He's not scared of it. The Pharisees looked pure on the outside. But on the inside, Jesus said they were full of dead man's bones. Man, I wonder how many times I've walked in here as a churchgoer, right? And been uh, looking good on the outside with a big smile on my face, but on the inside, things were rotten, right? I wonder how many times that's been me. But then take someone like Thomas, right? Thomas gets a bad rap so much that we call him Doubting Thomas. We throw him under the bus for not believing the resurrection right away. But he was real. Let's look at it, okay? In John 20, verse 24. It says, Now Thomas was one of the twelve, called the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. So Jesus died on the cross. He saw it happen. He saw Jesus taken to the tomb. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the, his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, which that's, you know, a miracle. He came through, and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Well, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, you could get a bad idea of who Thomas was by looking at this. See, Thomas wasn't a coward. Just a few chapters earlier, he suggested following Jesus into hostile territory and dying with him. He said, let's do it. I don't care. Let's, let's go ahead and go where we shouldn't go. But see, Thomas was in a bad place in these verses. Have you ever been there, right? Where some things have happened in your life and you find it really hard to believe that God is good and that things are are, are going to be okay and that he's in control. He just saw Jesus die. He had left everything in his life behind, all his, his occupation and his, his home and his family to follow someone and to go wherever he went. Everything he thought was true was shaken. And he had based his life on Jesus being the Messiah, and then he died. The Messiah died on a cross. Now it all seemed for waste. It would have been easy in these verses for Thomas just to say, look, sure, I believe you. He could have covered his doubt and disbelief. That's great, guys. 
That sounds awesome. I wish I got to see Jesus. He could have covered it up and, and made it look pretty, but he didn't do that. He was honest and he was authentic about where he was in his life at that moment. He said, guys, I don't, I don't believe it. I saw Jesus die. I know you think you saw Jesus. I can't believe it. And I won't believe it until I see this happen. And I, I see the nail holes and I see the, the place where, you, uh, where he got uh, you know, impaled with a spear. But he was authentic about it. And he did get to see Jesus. And Jesus showed him those things. He didn't just kick him out of the group and say, you didn't have enough faith, get out of here. He didn't uh, you know, rebuke him and say something uh, you know, hurtful and offensive. Thomas, you jerk, you idiot, get out of my sight. You don't believe in me, get out of here. He didn't do that. He came to him gently. And he said, here. Believe. Look, it's me. Don't doubt. Have faith. Now, should Thomas have believed without seeing the nail holes? Well, yeah, because Jesus had told him, look, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life. But none of the disciples got that in the moment. They thought it was uh, over. But where this all started is with Thomas being honest and authentic about where he was. He didn't hide it up. He didn't, he didn't uh, you know, ball it up and just put his suit and tie on and just keep hanging out with his friends at church, even though he had questions and doubts and fears. He was honest about where he was, and he literally got to see Jesus. And the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to Thomas after this uh, uh, encounter with Jesus, but church tradition, which sometimes you know, we can hold loosely, church tradition has him taking the gospel to India where he planted a church and ultimately received a hole in his own side by being martyred for the faith and being impaled himself by a spear. What we do know for sure, though, here is that Thomas brought his doubts to Jesus. And he was authentic. And he didn't hide them. And Jesus today wants to come to you in your doubts and your fears. He's big enough. So be real and authentic and pure. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, the only way to fight false religion is with love that is produced from authentic faith. Until you're real with God, and stop putting on airs and understands who you are, that you are desperately wicked but unbelievably loved until you can come to him and say, look, God, I, I, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. And God, I, I'm, I don't understand why you did this. Help me understand. God, I don't get this. God, I'm scared. God, I have doubts. Until you come with all those things, you can't get help because that's the first Step is being honest and authentic with where you're at. So let's recap these uh, Beatitudes, it's where we're at so far. This description of a blissful uh, follower of Jesus. We saw, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blissful and fortunate are the people that understand that they are spiritually broke. Next is, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
So blissful and fortunate are those that grieve over their sin. And when you realize that you're spiritually broke and poor, then you'll realize that your sin hurts God and others. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blissful and fortunate are those that give control over to God. They're not driven by their flesh like Samson was. They uh, are able to uh, have self-control. Meekness is, is power but under control. Because uh, power that is out of control cannot be focused and used. But God wants to use your gifts and strengths and talents like a laser beam right at what he wants you to do. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Bible says they will be filled. Blissful and fortunate are those that would do anything to make sure they're right with God and to see right done in the lives around them. Just like a starving man would do anything for food. Then we saw today, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You're going to be in a situation one day where you need mercy. But the Bible says those that give mercy, get mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Nothing between you and God. No unconfessed or unrepentant sin. Someone that's authentic and real, not putting on a show. Bring your doubts because Jesus wants to come in to your doubts and fears. Don't hold anything back. He'll meet you there. And this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus will be merciful to others because they understand how much they have been forgiven. The merciful will obtain mercy. And those that are authentic and pure will walk close to God, talking and, and bringing him their doubts and fears. Because when you bring them to him, and then... He works in those doubts and fears. Your faith will grow more than ever before. But your faith will never grow past your doubts and fears if you don't bring them to Jesus. Thomas said, my Lord and my God, after he said, I don't believe. Why? Because he brought them to the right place. Happy and fortunate are the people that realize that they are in desperate need of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as the worship band comes. The greatest sermon ever preached, preached by Jesus himself, lays out some things that are kind of easier said than done. I know for sure that I want mercy. But I do not like being merciful. It's against my flesh. I want to see people get what's coming to them. I want to give people a piece of my mind. I don't want to have mercy. I don't want to think best of people. I don't want to give people the benefit of the doubt. But Jesus throws out this challenge to be merciful. And I'll show you mercy. We're all tempted to hide our sin like Adam and Eve and act like nothing's wrong. But the other beatitude we talked about today says, 
when we're pure in heart, authentic. We have nothing between us and God. We bring our doubts and fears and we're honest with him. We can see God. Maybe that's where you're stuck. Maybe you haven't heard from God in a long time. Maybe you feel like he's so far away. What have you been holding back? Maybe it was a loved one that passed away and you're still in the back of your mind angry at God. Maybe it's a bad diagnosis. Maybe it's a a financial issue. Maybe it's a fear of something that's coming in the future. God wants to walk with you through those things. You gotta be honest. You gotta bring them to him. Can't deny it. And he can grow your faith through those problems. The other side of that fear and doubt that you're feeling this morning might not happen automatically, might not happen in a moment, but the other side is a faith that's deeper because God can handle your fears and your doubts. He's not scared of your questions. Let's take a moment we reviewed all of these Beatitudes up to this point. Now I'm going to be silent. You talk to God in your heart this morning. 